I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome along to the VMTV Rugby Pod. Alan, we'll start with you. Another good win for Ireland. A great autumn in general, I suppose, with three wins. What did you make of Saturday? Tight enough game? It was, yeah. Um, obviously, um, getting the win in the end, Stuart, was was obviously really important. I think um, it was a game that Ireland could have easily have lost. I think they were probably their defence was very, very strong. And connected in that first half when Australia had a lot of possession, they were putting Ireland under a lot of pressure in in their own um, you know 22 10 yard line. From the 10 yard line in, they were in that attack zone a lot, and Ireland defended very well. Um, I suppose the disallowed try from 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 Nick White uh, when he makes that little break, and uh, you know that was unfortunate. Australia had a lot of bad luck. They'd number of their top players um, got injured, went off, and they were t- quite disjointed. I think their discipline was really poor. That was something that was spoken about um, in the build-up to this game, issues that they've had around their discipline. When you have four neck rolls in your 12 penalties, it's it's a lot. Ireland had 12 penalties as well, um, so they can look at their discipline as well, particularly around you know their decision-making and some offsides and some not rolling away quick quick enough at the breakdown. But, um, you know, was the word dogfight was used a lot after the game, I think, um, and that's what it was, both sides. Um, and Australia came to to kind of really disrupt Ireland, go at their breakdown, put them under a lot of pressure. And they had moments in the game, Ireland, where, you know, they looked like they were going to find their mojo, but they didn't for any sort of consistent long period. And um, it was a real kind of arm wrestle of a game. Matt, Australia just came up a wee bit short. You had always said they tried their heart out, which is pretty obvious to say, but they actually looked pretty good, but just maybe in the final third sort of let them down. I think what Alan said is exactly right, mate, and and this has been Australia's problem for a couple of seasons now. Their discipline is awful. They were the most penalised team uh, in the championship. They gave away more cards than anyone in the rugby championship. And they're they're leading the penalty count like that's not something you want to lose in on the November series. They've given away more penalties than any team in in uh, the November series, and it costs them. It costs them dearly. Like the the last penalty when Australia are mauling for a try was definitely a penalty. Um, you know, there's 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 no two ways about that. The uh, uh, you, you know play, player joined the maul in front of the ball. The problem I have, not with that penalty, because it was definitely a penalty, I saw that at least three or four times in the game at other balls. And when referees bring that out in the last play of a game, that's what really frustrates people. I thought the referee was very consistent on neck rolls and the Australians were ridiculously guilty of neck rolls. Like as Quinny said, like, you know, it's just beyond words how international players can do that. Because we could see on the video they were all valid um, penalties. And, and to be fair to the referee, penalised Ireland for, for one, I think, uh, during the game. But the Australians were, were awful in, in that respect. The thing that Ireland should be concerned about was the Australian have picked a good game plan. And this is the game plan that's been coming along for a while. People are holding possession for long periods of time and really attacking Ireland's breakdown, denying them the ball. Now, there's a lot of excuses on the Irish side. Sexton pulls out just beforehand. Crowley's first run and, and lots of pluses in that. Stuart McCluskey, Crowley, O'Brien, all big pluses uh, for Ireland in the long run. 
But that game plan that we've seen now against South Africa, and the South Africans are the best of the world, the Australians are attempting to emulate it and not the most physical team in the world or not renowned for it, but you could see they've lifted their physicality, their, their scrum and, and um, line-out was particularly good. I think we're going to see more and more of that style of play that Australia put in implemented against Ireland in the future because that, again, that seems to be the word going around the international traps. This is the way to stymie Ireland's attack. You know, it's interesting. I'll not briefly touch on it there, but the, it's really a story of three out halves for Ireland. Johnny Sexton going down, Jack Carley coming in with about 30 minutes to kick off the start, and then Ross Byrne sort of coming out after a couple of years away from the international scene, kicking that winning penalty. So what do you make of it all? Sort of the, for Jack and Ross, pretty special days. Yeah, obviously Jack Crowley's been a big winner in this this um, you know this season. I think with the emerging Ireland tour, uh, getting called into the Irish squad, and um, it'll do his confidence um, the world of good. I think it was um, being sprung like that on Saturday is uh, is a tricky one. It's hard. It's difficult, and you are coming up against a side who are going to really try and make it uh, um, you know difficult for a player like that, particularly in a ten position. So Valentini, I think there was one free kick early on. Nick White taps, gives it to Valentini, and he's just all that's in his mind is running at Jack Crowley. Um, I can't believe I can't believe Quinny a back row would run at a ten on purpose. I'm absolutely yeah, and, and that, that, was, never, that never crossed your mind, did it? Never, no, never it crossed your mind. And that was a, that was the opportunity. So they spoke about that when they knew Sexton wasn't there. Get at Crowley, make him tackle. It's 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 very obvious that any team would try and do that. Um, so it was um it was a it was a strange kind of game and it wasn't one of those ones that um the breakdown was a mess and some of the ball that Jack Crowley got was a little bit slow. Australia had plenty of numbers out and I thought they defended very well. Also the Australians, they numbered up, they identified which breakdowns to attack and which to not. Uh, so there was lots of numbers, Australian players on their feet. So not many opportunities for Jack Crowley. I think he did well uh, without setting um, you know, the world of light, I think. Um, would he got that kick if he was still on the field? Who knows? But Ross Byrne, to come on like that and have a moment, and as sports people, you know, the whole narrative can change around people, and now people are talking about Ross Byrne and, you know, what he can do as well. So uh, it was a wonderful kick for him, a great moment, and they're the ups and downs of, of, of sport. Um, but I think... Having Jack Crowley, Crowley in the conversations now was a good, a good situation for Mike Cat. Um, you know, trying to get a backline running and trying to get back up to Johnny Sexton, um, Joey Carberry obviously getting that that knock uh, against Fiji and that that tackle um, and ruling him out was was unfortunate. But it's opened the door a little bit, and you know that that experience for Jack Crowley was really positive. So. Um, I don't I, like if Johnny Sexton was out in the field on Saturday night. Would would Ireland have been a lot better? Who knows? I think his presence is obviously massive, his experience and his quality. Um, but I still think that he would have been under a lot of pressure the way Australia kind of defended and had it in their mindset: rip into Ireland, frustrate them, push it right to the limit at times, and um, that's what they did. So. Um, it was a good experience for Jack Crowley. I'm, ja I'm glad Ireland won the game. Um, he's got two caps throughout this series. Andy Farrell has capped five players, I think, in the series as well. So there's, even though the Fiji and, and Australian performances weren't what everyone would have wanted, um, it's a nice little reality check and a little bit of a stop, pause, reset moment for this team to actually what Matt is saying there and what we all know that if you kind of hit that situation where you don't get that that smooth flow from your breakdown. Um, because I think our set piece was good. Our lineup was excellent. Our scrum was good. Um, but particularly off phase play, if that ball isn't as quick um, and you're facing lots of numbers in the back line, well, it's hard no matter what kind of attack you have or shape or ball you put out the back. It's still difficult to get, get the ball out to the edge and find space. Um, so not the... Not the easiest night for Jack Crowley, but I thought he did really well. And I think, you know, Ross Bourne coming on, what a moment for him. It was really special. Matt, a guy who disrupted the ball there, showed his class, Michael Hooper. 
How do you stop him coming a World Cup with caliber like him? He was brilliant out there. Look, I, I agree with Alan's choice of man of the match in Kalen Doris, but Michael Hooper must have been banging on the door as well. I thought. I yeah, thought I thought about him, Matt. I thought yeah. about him when I was singing. Um, and obviously, usually, when you go player to match, it's it's usually 75th, 76th minute that you kind of get it done. The game is in the balance. And I'm thinking if Australia win this game, it's Hooper. Um, yeah. And so we're given, we're given till the kind of yeah. game. No, no, no Alan, I wasn't criticizing. No, no, I, I, know, I know what you mean. But I think it was just one of those games, Matt, where I was yeah. thinking if Valentini's still on the field, he's in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, great great yeah. uh, but Michael Hooper, even though he didn't get a lot of carries, he's still so effective. And you, when you come up with those big moments, you're in the conversation. Um, but he's, how do you stop him? Well, I don't know, Matt. You, you as a coach, um, you, you, it's difficult, you, you, isn't it? The great players you can't stop, Alan. You can only minimise their, their impact. Uh, and I think Michael, um, he withdrew during the, the um, championship uh, in Argentina and he didn't play in the championship. And that's only his third game back. And he wasn't as effective in the first two games, quite understandably. He hasn't played a lot of rugby in a long time. But I thought he was absolutely superb the other night, you know. And you're up against World Rugby Player of the Year in in Josh Vanderfleer, and I thought he I thought he was shaded Josh the other uh, the other night, you know, in a losing team. He was everywhere. His tackling, his his efficiency at the breakdown. Even though he wasn't stealing the ball, he was slowing the ball. He was turning up at the most absolutely uh, intense moments of the battle and contributing. And we were sitting in studio and we were just, we, we were running a Michael Hooper um, uh, segment. We didn't get a chance to show it after the game, but we just kept saying, oh, there he is again. There, there he is again. Just see Hooper do that. Just, and it wasn't anything major. He wasn't making breaks or scoring try. It was just 20, 30, 40 little involvements that were magnificent, that were, were just technically beautiful and, and really contributing to his sides. Uh, effort in the contest and that's what uh, Australia were doing you know they're, they're against a better team and when you're against a better team especially in the adversity Australia were losing they lost six players you've got to disrupt your opposition and I, I think for any young genuine open sides and, and Alan we had two genuine open sides on the field which isn't doesn't happen all the time in today's game, Australia have a wonderful tradition of playing a genuine open side, which tend to be a smaller, faster, efficient player, uh, a groundhog, as we call them, uh, a genuine number eight in Valentini and a six, a stopper, we call them, a runner and a, and a, and a tackler. Um, you, you get that. And, and Ireland were playing the same way. I, I like the thing is because of Australian coaching influence on the Irish game, they played a very similar back, uh, back row. But Hooper was... Absolutely superb. And any young, genuine open side should watch that game as a masterclass on how to be an open side flanker. Yeah, definitely, Matt. If we look at the autumn in general, who do you think are the biggest winners for Ireland? Stuart, I think there's a there's a, a, a strong list of, of, of that. I think, one, you're seeing a very uh, – uh, a lot of continuity in the selection for the forward pack. They um, – that, that is the same forward pack that has beaten South Africa, beaten New Zealand three times, I believe, out of the last four, and um, also have now beaten Australia. So you're seeing a lot of consistency with that. You, you, you're seeing Dan Sheen blossom. You're seeing Caelan Doris blossom. Um, you, you, you're also saying Stuart McCluskey, I think, is a huge winner. I, I thought Stuart had a wonderful series and proved he is not out of out of his depth at the international level, that more than that, he can thrive at the international level. Jimmy O'Brien uh, on the wing, I thought, was also superb, proving that he's going to be a great utility back uh, uh, for Ireland. Um, Mac Hansen added to his values uh, as a player. I think also that uh, if, if we consider the Fiji game, uh, it, it, was, it was great to see some of these young players getting opportunities. You know, we've got Ross Byrne came back on. I, I, I know people are putting Ross down, and I, I, I disagree with that. I think Ross has been given a, a bit of a hard, a hard uh, 
Mark. We've always liked him, Mark. We've always liked him. The hard part with Ross, as I do like him, because if we were just picking purely on club form, so what are you doing with Munster, Leinster, Ulster and Connor? Ross gets the Ross gets the nod every time. Because with Leinster, he's superb behind Sexton. Ross's problem is he hasn't fulfilled that potential or that form when he when he's been given the opportunity for at national level. And and but he's been discarded very quickly when you compare with, with Joey is up towards 40 caps. You know, Ross was thrown out uh, very, very early. And they've gone to that next generation of Crowley and Frawley and so on. And I'm not so sure that that is completely the right uh, strategy. We're getting so close to the World Cup now that that's getting very difficult. But I think that Ross Byrne is putting his name up there might be in the long run a very good thing for Irish rugby. He may very well still have a part to play in in the next few years of Irish rugby where some people have written him off. And and I, I understand that because he's international. On the international stage, he has not replicated what he does almost weekly for Leinster. Like he is metronomic for Leinster in his kicking and, and in his generalship of the team when Sexton is away. It's almost seamless, not quite, but almost seamless. But that is not the case at the international level. And I just think it's great for Ross as a person to get some self-belief back because he must have been very disappointed with with how that's transpired for him on the international stage because I do think for the national team he may yet have have a significant role to play in the next 12 months. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out coming into the World Cup. Um, if we bring it just quickly back to Australia, a number of injuries. Biggest talking point was Nick White. He's now been stood down from all rugby activity for the next 12 days. The whole situation seemed to be a bit of a mess. You were there. What What's your take on the whole thing? Well, just my feeling when I saw um, <clears throat> when I saw the incident, and it was mainly the replay of Nick White's head hitting Josh van der Fleer's knee, because um, I kind of focused on him after he tried to make the tackle on, on Mac Hansen, and we thought it was an Ireland try. It was a foot and touch, and he looked... That one to me looked just like he's he kind of banged himself off the ground a little bit. Um, and that's a kind of a day's one that you're not really overly concerned about. But for me, the feeling I immediately got, um, the reaction I got off the Josh van der Fleer one was I'd seen him kind of crunch down, kind of and and he wobbling backwards a little bit. And then when he stand, stood, he wobbled a bit. And on his face, and I watched it back a few times, he kind of he doesn't look like he's he's he just looks dazed and i think at that stage and i've been strong on this for years and um i played the game and i would have been the classic example of someone who wouldn't come off i wouldn't want to come off and you know up to a number of years ago we had coaches thinking you know try and dust them down a little bit and get it back on and that that was understandable but i think what's happened with the you know the the stuff around Alex Popham and um, uh, Steve Thompson and players like that who've had unfortunate um, issues from from concussions in the game and real concern there. I think I've kind of gone to the point that even if we're even if you think there's any slight chance, I think obviously they have to go off and be assessed. But when they show some symptoms like that, I just think. It's um, it's 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 time to leave them off. And he's a very good player, Nick White. He's a really important player to Australia. Um, but I think obviously what's transpired is the the match day doctor who, um, who basically said he was watching the first clip of 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 that attempted tackle on Mac Hansen, and that when the game restarted, he wasn't watching the second one. But I think the Australian doctor there, and I and when I look at back at it again, when Nick White is kind of hunched down. Um, he he kind of wobbles backwards. Ben O'Keefe said, "Well, he's he's wobbling. Uh, we need to get him off." You could then hear, you could then see the actions of the medic and the doctor speaking into the the mic. The pictures then went to Dave Rennie, who's talking back to him. You presume we're not a hundred percent sure. At that point, I think, you know, it's all reactive. It's like doing commentary. It's very difficult sometimes to kind of absorb everything that's going on but that's my feeling from the start and it hasn't changed now and obviously I think the situation around um, the match doctor watching a replay or, or watching back the video clips I think at that point he's got to make a decision to watch the player 
the play is started, he needs to watch the actions of the player and see if Nick White, yeah, got the lineups perfect, he's fine up to that point. So the first one I have no issue with as regards, he shouldn't be removed then because you watch the player and he looked fine, he looked like he had that zip, uh, caught the ball perfectly, made the run, then get the second bang. And that's the one where I think he should stay off. He should, and that's my opinion. He should stay off there and uh, not come back on. But um, we obviously heard what you said on Saturday night. Player welfare is so important. Now, have you had a chance to reflect on things and has your opinion changed? Look, mate, the, the, the player was taken from the field. So, so if we look at what the system, and look, I'm totally in agreement with Quinny. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to stop. I'm not trying to put players on the field when they shouldn't be. Anyone with a head injury has to leave and should be kept off. And that that is – so if we look at that, the system worked. He was removed from the field. What is – what, what I, my point is, as a coach, I trust the doctors. So if my doctor every, – every team I coached, I did what the doctor said. The doctor said the guy's got to go off or a guy can't play. I didn't question it. I didn't say, mate, we've got to strap him up, get him on, we can't. That I never never once did that because you've got to look after your boys. You've got to look after your players. My point was, why did he go back on? And I just felt I'm not in a situation to judge the doctor. If he did his – so Parecki gets injured, the, the Australian hooker, and fails his HIA test and rightfully stays off the field. That is correct. That's what the system does. So the match day doctor had done his, done his job there. If, the, if, he, if White comes off and then passes his HIA, what what does the doctor do? So so Quinny's saying, and, and there's a lot of argument, and I get that, he showed obvious signs, maybe he should stay off. And did the doctor miss that? The, the point I'm getting at is we've got some science there about HIAs. It's really hard for us as commentators of the game to go against science. And, and I'm very reluctant to do that. I do not want any player on the field that's had an injury. Air play should be kept out of the game. And I was very, very surprised Nick White went back on. My, my point was I was asked to comment on it. I said, well, he's passed his HIA. We've got to trust the science. And I still believe that's that's what we have to do. We, we can't – because if, if we're saying Parecki fails the HIA and stays off, that's correct. White passes. What What, what is the doctor's – what, what's the alternative for the doctor to, and that and that that's that's the situation we're in. Obviously, I think that the wrong it it, see, it seems it pans out that the wrong decision will be made. But how what what other process is there except the science that we currently have? And I think I, it puts all of us I, in a difficult I, situation. I and I, I I know what you're saying, and I agree. I agree that there's no. I, I don't. I don't think any coach would tell a doctor who's saying this player should not go out in the field, keep that quiet, send him back out or he's going back. No coach would. And I, and, and I, I think I think that's where your argument a little bit got lost in in translation, if, if, if you allow me to say that respectfully. Because I, I knew where you're coming from. Absolutely, we trust the doctors. We trust the doctors both ways. And I saw Dr. Anna Falvey going onto the field and... Was it 2018 or 17 or 18? It could have been 16 when Ireland played um, Australia in Dublin. Ireland defended a five-yard scrum. Conor Murray received a knock before before that in a ruck or previous two. He's getting ready to defend that scrum. At this point, Conor Murray's like, he's that extra back row. He's so strong. He's so good at tactics. And I saw in Falvey, who identified it himself, looking to get in touch with the fourth official and the, and the touch judge to get the referee's attention to get Conor Murray off the field. So we've seen loads of examples, and I think that's that's important to acknowledge. There's no coach wants to endanger their lives. I think in that adrenaline rush in that moment, you'd love to say, God, you'd love to be getting the news from the doctor that he's cleared, he can go back on, and you want to get him out there. But I think the problem here is when you have... Um, and this is this is where and 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 it's 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 something that kind of bothered me, is that if I was that player and my team doctor comes on and he's addressing the situation from with me, he's checking on me, and he sees me because you can see the team doctor when Nick White kind of stumbled backwards when he was in the crouch position, 
And then when he got up, he's trying to hold his hand and he's talking into the mic. So he's obviously saying, you got to get him off. He's in bother. He's seen that actually right up close. He's the one then who really should, in my opinion, take it out of the independent match doctor's hands. There's, and he should say, we don't, we're not going to do a HIA here, um, Nick. I know you want to go back out in the field, but look, let's err on the side of caution here. Jake Gordon is ready to go. Let him out there. Let him do it. That's what I think. I think the Australian doctors here could have been better in what they were doing. So, Alan, you're saying as soon as you see that stumble, that tiny little well, stumble, right? It's caution. These guys are getting monitored and they're up close and we're having debates about this and there's cameras everywhere and there is doctors. But, you know, we have to try and go and reassure parents that go out and send their kids out playing games right across the world that the coaches of these teams, amateur underage teams, will see, if they see any slight little bit of a stumble, and look, we can all get up and be dazed, and you can't, you may not be deeply concussed, but you might be just a bit winded or whatever if you get a bit of a shock to the system and your head flips back. You can be concussed, but, you know, there's some of them there you can dust yourself down, you're grand, and you're fine. But look, the reality is because of the dangers in the game and, and the messages we're trying to get across is we want people to remove those those kids where there isn't those camera angles and there isn't that aftercare immediately there for people. So, um, look, it's one that just everybody can be a bit better on, I think. And look, if, if I've said this, and it's the same with any team, um, Sometimes if it's your best player in the field and he's in that situation, um, we want coaches actually making these decisions as well. And and being on their mic saying, look, get him out of there. We've got someone, bring on Jake Gordon. And, and you know, so we still have a bit to go on it. Um, but I think, you know, having spotters there and the independent match doctors and what World Rugby will do. And, and, and to be fair, Matt, you got a lot of flack at the weekend, but you have been someone who's been, you know, pro um, the zero tolerance around head high shots and people flying into rocks and shoulder charging. So it's not as if you're you're saying the game has gone soft, but I think no. it was lost in translation a bit. We do need to back the doctors, but we need the doctors in this situation to get some help from the from the coaching team and say, look, let's get the player out of there. See, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll disagree with you. I don't think the coach should have anything to do with it because coaches get a motive and they want to win. And I think in junior rugby in Australia, I don't know in Ireland, the referee, if, if in a junior game, the referee thinks a kid has got a bang, the referee is off and that kid's not allowed back on. And it's so the coach can't say, oh, he's okay. Bad luck, mate. So the kid, all the way along, the athlete is given uh, the best support we can. It's not the coach. It's not about winning. It's, it's not about more points than the opposition. It's about what's, it's about safety for the kids. And I think in the international game, having an in, this is why we've got independent doctors. So the coaches can't say, "Oh, look, he's okay." But it's it's and and to be fair to the Australian doctor, no, no, I think you, I think you're picking me up wrong there. I think yeah. if it comes to that situation where the independent match doctor mix, mixes misses it, I think I would be encouraging coaches yes. to say not yes. getting back on to say, "Look." Get him off. He's staying yeah. off. No, no, you know, I get you. If you're a coach, Matt, and you have, you know, 50-50 decision on selection, like your two halfbacks, you're going to play this nine or that nine. One of them starts, he gets the head knock. And you know that you've got a guy chomping at the bit to get on. That would help you. You know, obviously Nick White is a very important player and um, stuff like that. But I'm just saying... We uh, we've had cases of coaches a number in the last couple of years, not not sure. that recent, but in the English Premiership, at one stage I remember Steve Diamond talking about you know a couple of these players, AJ McGinty was one of them for sale, and he was talking about you know they were ruled out with HIAs and not let back in the field, and he was frustrated and he cost his team. So I'm just saying in general, I think we need more coaches as well to kind of speak out about this and be of that opinion. Look, sometimes it's difficult. People's jobs are on the line. Winning that test match is fine margins. But I'm just saying, Dave Rennie and his coaching team are watching. They've got that on monitors there as well. And I think if they jumped in... So there's a number of people who could have solved this problem for me. Ben O'Keefe sort of said, I've seen him wobbling. 
he's off and, and I, I don't want him coming back on. Okay, that may be strong, but, and I'm open to, to the argument of that, the Australian doctor who comes on, he is the one that's right beside him. He sees that stumble. He needs to send that up to his coaching team saying, look, he's not, he's gone, that's it. And then the, the last piece of it is the coach is buying into that. And not, you know, not like if I, if, if it was the first one, Matt, where he was down days and he went for HIA there, there's every chance he's coming back out onto the field with a spring in his step and he's probably two or three minutes in the dressing room. So look, it's, it's, Ultimately, um, the player welfare and the message this sends out is is really important. And it's kind of been proven that when the match doctor sees the footage after the game or wherever, he's now standing down for 12 days. So he's, that system needs to be better then, that, that that independent match doctor makes sure he sees every piece. And whether he needs an assistant with him watching the game or whatever, um, that would, would have solved this problem straight away. Yeah, Matt, we said it needs to get better, but I wanted you to have a, a last say on it, Matt, just so you can speak there. What do you think needs to get better? Well, well it's hard to move and a player's off the field for 15 minutes. So it's not two minutes, it's not one minute, 15 minutes, and the match doctor hasn't watched the whole thing. Because what happens is, is the, the Australian doctor walks off and immediately uh, the player, in this case Nick White, is taken from him and goes into the, the, the care of the independent medical staff. Right, so that is a major flaw from that group of of medicos to have not seen that. Now then they take him in and they give him his HIA and he passes, which is staggering because you know that this whole thing is designed so that doesn't occur. So I, I guess my point is we can't lose faith in the medicos. We can't lose faith in 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 trusting science. And all through this, because I've had a lot of concussions and I've coached and I've seen this, we were not looked after. We would get concussions. We were not taken off the field. We were then given a beer after the game and we're back in contact training on the Tuesday. I mean, what was done to us is outrageous. I don't want to see that done to anyone. I don't want to see that done to anyone. But therefore, it has to be not coaches that are in this process. It has to be purely scientists. Now, in this case, it obviously turns out the system has failed because they haven't watched the video. So that just means the system has to get better to support that doctor and that they need to, to, to other people. They might, As you say, Quinny, they might need other people there because he's missed something. So here's the doctor trying to do the right thing. He's seen that first one. His head, his head hits uh, uh, Mac Hansen's hip. He goes to ground, rolls over. He shakes his head, gets up. He's okay. I agree with you. It's the next one. He sees it. Now, the referee is looking at that. Someone needs to tell him, mate, you need to look at the second one as well. And that's not hard. That's not hard to do. So we, we can't lose faith in the system, but the system has to keep getting better. And I would say to you that across um, the, the November internationals, my experience of it, the system has worked. That that one, it obviously hasn't worked. But we, we, we can't lose faith in science, and we've got to stick to the science the whole way through. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, thanks for that, lads. Um, obviously, as you said, we'll see how the improvements fast, but let's hope it's such a big topic that it. Needs to get better. Alan, if we bring it back to the rugby and Andy Farrell, how will he be feeling now heading into the Six Nations in what, 10 months or so outside of a World Cup? 
Um, I think you'd be feeling pretty pretty good. Um, it's been you know a really positive year for Ireland again. You know, winning a triple crown, um, going close against France and Paris. What happened in in um, New Zealand and now to cap it off with three wins in November. I think the South Africa, the highs are obviously, you know, the triple crown winning Twickenham. It's always a big, a huge game against England. Um, the two test matches that they won the second and third in New Zealand and the South Africa game. So there's, there's some incredible highs there throughout the year. Um, but I think maybe Fiji and Australia have, have kind of just given Ireland a little frightener. Um, and I think that's no bad thing. So maybe that's a little, little bit of a, wake up call and a reality check and look there's no doubt that um you know ireland aren't a million way miles away they're not this indestructible team that are unbeatable and unbreakable i think they know that themselves and i think that's good to recognize that because i think that for any successful team if you're going to get complacent and um i think they're incredibly hard working i think uh, the coaches have done a really good job um they're a difficult side to put away Ireland and even when when they're not on song they're still you know and I, I look back to that first test in New Zealand and I think you know I, I it's, it's probably been proven right you know it hasn't been a fluke um you know they're under a lot of pressure in that game they concede a couple of tries there three or four tries in that game were preventable and they were bounced to the ball and they were you know um small very small margins and i i remember thinking after that first test this is kind of glass half full more than half empty and they've proven that to be the case because um they're able to kind of take and absorb the 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 the, the mistakes and and they seem to be quite rugby intelligent to be able to fix them they've good intelligent people in the coaching staff and i think they've a lot of good um readers of the game in, in their team and their squad. So I think none of them would be under any illusions that, you know, we, the Ireland need a little bit of luck to have a good 2023. They need to have key players fit and available. Um, but, you know, you have to enjoy the moments as well. So I think he'll be really pleased. And like I say, it's no bad thing that there's a few uh, kind of warning signs kind of in the last couple of weeks that if they switch off, if they're a little bit off the, the tempo and the pace, um, and this might sound crazy, but Ireland kicked the ball 26 times in the game the other day. Australia kicked it 28 times. Um, and I think around the 20 to 20, early 20s is, is a good number. You've got to kick the ball in rugby. But I just think maybe Ireland on a couple of occasions probably could have you know, been a bit more pragmatic, gone back a little bit to being direct, um, Maybe trying to, you know, the arm wrestle that Australia were bringing, maybe Ireland could have countered that with a bit of direct approach themselves. I think there was a lot of lateral passing and they were trying to stick to what worked a little bit, getting them edges. And I just thought a little bit of old school rugby on, on Saturday night, you know, playing a little bit of territory um, and trying to be a bit more direct themselves might, mightn't have done them any harm. It might have changed it up. Even a bit of picking and going all around the middle of the field and trying to, compress Australia a little bit. So maybe that's an area that they need to have in the locker as well, to go back to that kind of old school, managing the tempo and scoreline um, without, you know, keeping the ball alive. But I think he'd be really pleased. I think the other area was probably the turnovers, which was, you know, there was 13 turnovers conceded. Australia conceded five. So again, that's, that's a little bit high and... These are the negatives and, and probably 27 missed tackles. So if you're winning a test match and you're missing 27 tackles, um, there's a, you're kind of thinking then, well, the op opposition haven't taken their chances. And in fairness to Ireland, they're a really good scrambling defensive side. So if, if somebody misses a tackle on the front line, a lot of people work incredibly hard. So... Yeah, it's definitely glass half full and it's definitely what a year. Um, you know, four players in world, world team of the year. So there's loads of positives there. But I don't think it's any harm that we've seen a little bit of uh, a small little lull in the last two weeks. Matt, good to see a former Monster Man talk about a pick and go, eh? 
But <laughs> what about where do you think are the biggest improvements that Ireland have to make over the next sort of even coming into the Six Nations? I, uh, I think we've got to be a little bit careful because it has been a wonderful 12 months. They've played exceptionally exciting rugby that I've really enjoyed. It'll go close to, to, the, to, close to the best 12 months in Irish rugby, like to beat New Zealand in New Zealand, South Africa. You know, what, a, what, a, what a 12 months they've had. Um, and, and it's been entertaining. And it's been a revolution. The way they're playing, the style, the thinking is great. I, I, I think the, the, the last few weeks, um, if we consider when the opposition are down a man or two for, through cards, Ireland have been really poor. Uh, and, and this is, again, in all the positives, there's a couple of negatives. Again, on Saturday, uh, 13 men uh, in the, against the Australians for two minutes. Again, there's another one. Very, very uh, tactically naive. They should have called a scrum. You could see the bench calling for a scrum when the Australians had to hook a sin bin because Parecki was off with a, for the game with a head bin and then the Bianga the, uh, was, was sin bin for a neck roll. If Ireland had a call to scrum under the laws... That was before half-time, Matt. Was, mate, yeah. And, and John, Ireland, Forward, John Forward was going crazy on the sidelines saying scrum, 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 scrum. to the corner. Exactly. And the corner more and Australia kept them out. If, if they hadn't have gone for the... They would have had 13 men for about eight minutes. I think it was about seven and a half, to be fair. In the end, they only did it for two and a half minutes. So that's te- technically, tactically really poor from Ireland. But even then, at the scrum, they had a six on four. In other words, six Irish attackers and only four Australian defenders because they had to put eight guys in the scrum. And twice they went down the short side the second time uh, Mac Hanson went in a touch. Now, against Fuji, the same thing. And they still didn't attack them. They didn't even get an overlap. So Ireland really have to a lot of work to do on what happens when opposition get a card because that's when you put matches away. So if they're playing France or England at home next year and in the Six Nations and France get a card, you have to take advantage of that. So that was a big one. The, the second one was against Australia. Australia had three separate outside centres. Like that, that back line uh, for a lot, the, the last 20 minutes of that match was decimated. And Ireland didn't take any advantage of that. Now, Sexton was off the field. But Ireland was so lateral, it just allowed the Australian back line to, to drift, to slide the fence, which is what the Australians use, where the, the Africans are really up and hard. The Australians say, so we do, do your best and we're going to push you onto the sideline because the sideline never misses a tackle. And that's what they did. And for Ireland to only score uh, the tries they did in that game, and I've got to say, to a lesser extent, the Fuji game, should should give us some warning. We have to be better than that. Now there were players out. There's no Henshaw. You know that there was there were injuries. I get all that, and that that's that's right. But if we're saying let's keep the reality, because what this Irish team has to do is keep evolving and keep growing. If they just stay put, we're going to get done. We'll get done by France in the Six Nations. We, in the Six Nations, if we stay still, so it has to grow. It has to move. That's the areas. There's probably one other area, and I agree with Alan. It was the kicking in the first half because what did Australia want to do? Give me the ball. I'm not giving it you back. At one stage in the first half, I had it written down here. I just pulled my notes out. It was 139 tackles were made by Ireland compared to 51 by Australia. I think it was about the about the 55-minute mark in the second half. 139 tackles by Ireland compared to 51. Now, that wasn't what it ended up at full time. But that tells you Australia just kept possession, kept possession, kept possession, kept possession which is what Lara Shell did against Leinster and what the, the template is going to be against Ireland. Keep the ball, slow the rucks. Keep the ball, slow the rucks. So the more Ireland kick, and I agree with Alan, you do have to kick. It was a wet night in Dublin. But the more they do that, the more they're going to counter or, or, or add to their own demise. So they're at, a, they're at an interesting point. They're at a really, really interesting point. They're number one in the world. They showed incredible... Uh, determination overcoming adversity against both uh, South Africa, particularly South Africa, and lesser against Australia. They hung in there against Australia. But the French are going to ask a very, very di- – they've got everything. The French have got what South Africa have, but they've got much, much better attack and brilliant individuals. So that's the game I'm really looking forward to. And I think after that French game, 
we'll really, really know a lot more about what uh, 2023 holds. Yeah, we sure will. Alan, we can't go through the pod without talking about Josh van der Flaer, World Player of the Year. He's won about four awards in the last six months. Unbelievable stuff from him and just a credit to him and I suppose his family as well. Yeah, he's been brilliant. I think uh, just really consistent in what he's doing and um, it's it's very well deserved. Um, I think it's great to see an Irish player get it again and it's on the back of, of um, you know, a lot of individual... You know, I think in in rugby, obviously, it's a, it's a team game and you rely on your teammates, but <clears throat> that bit of zip in his legs, that anticipation, that that game management and the way he, he's reading the game, a lot of stuff has improved for Josh. He's become more aggressive in his carries, in his defence. Um, and uh, that consistency, he looks after himself well and you couldn't meet a nicer fella. Um, he's an absolute gentleman. I said this after the first test. Um, I went out for a walk on Sunday morning and... Uh, Josh van der Fleer was out for a walk and he was going to Mass on Sunday morning. Um, I couldn't imagine, um, you know, after a difficult situation like that on Saturday night, um, he doesn't take a drink, um, looks after his body so well, and he's uh, he's a very humble guy. And, um, you know, I do go to Mass, but I couldn't envision myself going to Mass on Sunday morning after a big test match in Auckland. And here he was just trying to live life as normal and do the normal stuff. And I just think it's an incredible achievement for him. And it's deserving. Um, he's the kind of guy that if you introduced him to anyone or brought kids around him or anybody, friends to meet, he's just such a mannerly, uh, nice, humble guy. And I think he's, uh, at times, I, I, I've said this and I've said it to his face. I think he's, he was too nice over the years, you know, too nice on the rugby field. Um, and that's, you know, he's, it's not part of his game as regards being nasty and pushing guys and grabbing their jerseys and being confrontational. But I think he's brought that bit of aggression up in his game, that bit of an edge that he's going to be, he's going to, you know, dominate his opposition and, and win those collisions and stuff. Uh, incredible athlete and, and very well deserved. It's wonderful for him. And I think he's a really, really... Um, popular choice and I think everybody thinks he deserves it. It was he was a clear cut winner for me. Yeah he definitely did deserve it. Matt suppose final one there just looking Ireland obviously great rugby world number one. You mentioned France. Who else we got the obvious New Zealand, England, South Africa. Who else have you lied are they the teams of sort of that if not will be beating Ireland, certainly be rivaling them anyway. Uh just before that, Stuart, I think Alan and all the back rows go to Mass on Sunday because they need forgiveness for what they did on Saturday. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially Quinny when he used to play against me. He was always... That's confession, Matt, yeah. Confession, confession Matt. You need forgiveness. You can get forgiveness at all. Sports, Alan, are you, Matt, I tried to let him away with that. Like, <laughs> um, You know, I'm not just saying that. But the, the beautiful thing about the international game right now, uh, Stewie... Al and I were talking about this um, two weeks ago when we had, we had a lot of fun talking doing the A game. I have not, I can't remember a period where there is so little between the top eight or nine teams in, in, in at the international stage. It's, it's amazing. You know, look at Argentina this year; they've beaten New Zealand, England, and Australia. Um, you know, and and pushed France close at one stage. Last year, you know, like there, there is not a lot between all these sides. Scotland have really lifted their game. Um, they played exceptionally well against New Zealand. Uh, I, I've got to say, the Wallabies are ranked. I think they're ranked nine now. I looked the other day. Now, I'm not into the rankings because not everyone plays each other. It's just indications. They should have beaten France and they should have beaten New Zealand. They beaten England, and they should have beaten Ireland. Like, and they've got a number of players out. Uh, Probably the, 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 most of their three-quarter line and back line is missing. So there's a lot of pluses to that Wallaby side. The, the other part is the draw of the World Cup. It means they're in a pretty good place. So I, I think the international game, as far as competition goes, is very healthy because for a long time, New Zealand was so far out in front of everyone else. They were, it, it was just not funny. It was New Zealand and everyone else. And quite often the scores would be by 20 and 30 points. The fact that England drew with New Zealand the other day, I think, is a really healthy thing. So I, I think the game 
so we go to the Six Nations next year. You know, everyone's focusing on France. Ireland have got Wales first up. Well, they're up and down. They've, you know, they've got Scotland. These are away. Wales, Scotland, Italy away. Italy beat, beat the Wallabies. Like the, the Italian sides, all the work that Steve Abu did in, in developing their um, academies over the last five years, that's starting to really benefit. Now, I don't think they're going to be there at the top of the races, but if you go to Rome and you're not on your money, that, they prove they can they can throw you now. This is a very different Italy than, than 15 months ago. So, again, mate, I, I just think it's uh, it's really exciting. For Ireland, being number one, I think we all got to take this. Being, being number one in the world rankings is meaningless. It's meaningless. All it tells us is Ireland are at the top end with another group, and that's a good thing. But I don't think number one or two, we should worry about that, or three or four or five. Don't worry about that. Just know that Ireland's at the top end. But if you turn up on the day and you're not ready, you'll get beaten. That's what the form at the moment is telling about, telling us. And that is, one, as viewers, that's what we want to see. It's exciting. It's dramatic. And the other one, for Ireland, it goes the up of the way. They can beat anyone. On any given day, Ireland are capable of beating any team in the world. And that's really great for Irish rugby. Yeah, it definitely is. It's been a great year for Ireland. Let's hope it. Momentum keeps going, lads. Thanks for joining me as always. And um, we go again for another 10 months of rugby and what a Six Nations and World Cup to look forward to. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Thanks a Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 